really did. I needed to hear that this morning. Um, and clearly Brianna needed to hear that as well. Um, there's just been a lot of major medical issues with her mom that prompted her to come home. And so we were privileged to be able to send Heidi out there uh, to say to to Brianna, help is on the way. We're, we've got your back. We're in this with you and we're praying for you. So please remember to be praying for her and for Will as they're separated right now. He's still in Africa and she's in Boise. She was hoping to get up to see us, but it's just too much. So we, so we went to them. Um, and that's really awesome. So we've been talking for the last five weeks about bravery. Um, and I thought, if God is doing what I think he is doing, if God is doing what I think he wants to do and what I've been praying that he would do in you and in me, if the idea of being brave and our obedience to the Lord and our following, if it like actually gets into our heart and it takes root and takes hold, here's what I realize and here's what I think the text kind of bears out this morning, that we are going as individuals and as a church, to, we're going to face obstacles, Right? We're going to face all kinds of barriers. We're going to face fear. We're going to face regret. We're going to face shame and guilt. Uh, we're going to face a sense of unworthiness. We're going to face uh, the voices of critics. We're going to face uh, the voices of culture that say you can't be this way or speak this way or do these things uh, because it's not PC or because there's you know every God is okay and there's all these different ways. If we're going to be brave as God is calling us to be brave, and if God is doing in you and in me what I think he is doing, then we're going to face this stuff. It's going to come up. There is an enemy that is keeping tabs on what God is doing in you and in this church and in this city. Like literally, he's like, he's looking for reports. He's like stealing all the carrier pigeons that are carrying the messages from the Lord to his people. And he's like actively looking for what God is doing in you and in me. And he is doing his darndest. I almost wanted to go to the other word there because I think it's strong enough. But you know, he's doing his very best to steal, kill, or destroy those things. But here's the good news. All the things that are working to silence you, whether it's your past, whether it's a, some present struggle, whether it's some inward fear or some sense of unworthiness, whether it's uh, voices of the culture that are speaking to you, the good news of Jesus Christ can overcome every one of these. How many of you guys know that's true? You know, when, when I preach, I'm not just preaching information to you. Um, I am preaching not a, a sermon. I'm not preaching an idea. I am preaching a person. The person's name is Jesus. It's the person that we sing of. It's the person that we worship. It's the person that we look to for our model of life. It's the person we look to for our salvation. It's not our own work. It's not our own power that does anything that we do. It is the power of Jesus Christ living in us and in the power given to us through the Holy Spirit. And that good news can overcome and take out every scheme of the enemy that comes up against you. Now, we talked about uh, Elisha here. When I read this story, I told you a little bit about this gal named Jezebel who had come as a, as a, as a queen and a priestess, and she was coming, and she was her whole plan was to steal, kill, and destroy what God was doing in the people of Israel, destroying the prophets, literally tracking down and exiling and or killing every prophet, silencing the voice of God, in the people. And I want you to know that I believe today that Jezebel is alive and well. Anybody believe that? The Jezebel is alive and well. Now there are some, uh, there's some Pentecostals, a strain of Pentecostalism, and we're, we're a Pentecostal denomination, and they like to take this person and they, they name what goes on in this world a Jezebel spirit. And I think that sounds really weird honestly. I'll just be frank with you. I think that just sounds bizarre. But what they're saying, and what, and I totally agree with them, that 
the, the, the nature of Jezebel, who Jezebel was, what she was trying to accomplish, the enemy's plan and schemes and powers that would come to make that happen is still alive and well today. The spirit of Jezebel is at work here, in this very room. In this very room, trying to stop what God is doing in you, trying to silence the voice of the Lord. There are lots of things in this world that are trying to literally kill the prophetic voice of the church in this culture. That sounds really ominous, doesn't it? Like It's like somebody standing outside with a gun or something, waiting to silence the prophets. What I mean when I say that is this. There are a lot of things trying to keep you, not just us, keep you, you specifically, from being all that God made you to be, all that God has called you to be, from keep you from saying all that God is calling you to say, and to keep you from doing all that God has called you to do. You guys follow the track with me? There is a spirit in this world that is trying to keep you from being all that God has called you to be, from doing all that God has called you to do, and from saying all that God has called you to say. I've talked about these voices. You can't pray here. You can't say that there is only one way to heaven. You can't go to church on Sunday. You have a tournament or a practice. You have to. If you if you don't come to practice because you got a church thing, well, you can't play at the next game. If you go on some spiritual retreat and and you miss things, you you can't be a part of the team. This is being said in this culture. You can't you can't go to that church group thing. You've got a lab. You've got you've got this extra test. You've got this thing that you need to be studying for. All of these voices that come in. You've got too much work to do. You've got too much, you're just too tired from the work that you have to do. You can't go and listen for God's voice. You can't go be a part of that thing. You can't hold this, this opinion. It's not PC. It's not politically correct. If you hold it, you better keep it quiet at the very least. The voice of Jezebel is still speaking, silencing the prophets. You get the picture. Jezebel squashed the prophets, kept them from doing, being, and saying all that God called them to say and do and be. And that power is still alive today. And my question for you is, what is your Jezebel? What is it? What is trying to keep you from doing, being, and saying all that God has called you to do, be, and say? What is it? Is it your past? Is it a secret sin or shame? Is it guilt over mistakes? Is it actual people speaking things to you? What is your Jezebel? I believe very deeply that there is hope in this world. And I know that when we watch the news and we listen to the fake news and we listen to the real news, when we listen to, and which is which, I don't know sometimes, when we listen to any voice of our culture, it feels kind of hopeless. It feels like the end has come. But I believe there is still hope for this world, and that hope is not an idea. That hope is not a historical figure. That hope is the real and risen presence of Jesus Christ. That is the hope. We live in a world full of trouble, yet God is still active and alive. And that world needs people who are coming to point out what God is doing in the midst of the trouble. Our world needs people like you to go into their ordinary, everyday, getting up, waking up, going to bed lives, coffee drinking lives, office work lives, track hole work lives, body work lives, to get into whatever place that you're called to be and to go and to speak and live prophetically, saying this is what God is doing in the world. 
This is who Jesus is. When Jesus' people are actively living out and extending the kingdom of others, the hope of Jesus is revealed. Hope isn't just found here at church. Hope isn't something we just talk about once a week. We don't just come on Sundays and say, here's hope, and then I go out on Sunday afternoon at 12.15 because Pastor J.B. spoke too long, and, and then the hope has stayed back at the church. That's good news because hope goes into the world. And guess what hope is? It's Jesus in you and in me. Hope is alive. For this to happen, for us to make a kingdom difference, you have to take some kingdom risks. Risk is what we are talking about for the next five weeks. How many of you are really excited about that? Yes. I know. A few people are like, you know, risky sounds great, you know. But the idea of risk, the idea of brave sounds awesome on paper, but I got to tell you, when it comes to actually jumping off the cliff, when it comes to actually living out this stuff, when it comes to actually being the hope, of the world as Jesus has called you to be the hope of the world. Jesus in you. Oh man, scary, scary business. Facing profit killers, risky business. It's risky business. So today we start this new series. Bravery leads us to risk. It's just the natural next step. Um, it's kind of interesting how God speaks sometimes. Uh, in, in November, I read a biography of Orville and Wilbur Wright. And isn't this a great picture? This is like the very picture of risk. This is one of their very first flyers that they built. These guys built bicycles for a living. They built bicycles. Now, I've tried to make my bicycle fly many times, and I'll tell you how it ended every time. Bloody knees and, you know, messed up face. Every time I try to make my bicycle fly, but these guys did it. They believed so deeply that human flight was possible, that they spent their own money, their own savings, their own reputation... Their own time off, they they worked in the bicycle shop all day long, and they spent their weekends and their evenings in a barn building this thing. And then they spent their money, traveled halfway across the United States to a dune in the middle of nowhere, and they flew. That's taking a risk. But risk for Christians looks a little different than just flying. Now, this is risky, and this is great. It has a great reward. But for Christians, it looks a little different. Risk for Christians is choosing to go and maybe live in a country where People are hostile, hostile to the, the name Jesus. Who, if they found out that you were a believer, they may take your life. Risk is saying, saying, risk is, well, this sentence I wrote here makes no sense at all. Uh, oh, okay, this it does. Risk is saying no to good things, like extra meetings, more work, things that produce more things in life, things that, pad your pocketbook, saying no to some of those things so that you can say yes to God things, so that you can say yes to sharing Jesus with somebody, so that you can say yes to just serving somebody as Jesus served them. God wants us. Now, let me, let me rephrase this, because I really want this to be so personal. I don't, I don't want this to just be some anonymous we, me and the mouse in my pocket, right? God wants you, and, and not con- just you know, together, but individually, in your seats, you, think about just who you are. God wants you to take risks with your life. And I hope that you'll be empowered and emboldened to do that as we talk about this for the next several weeks. So let's start by defining risk. Risk is an action that exposes you to the possibility 
of injury or loss. Now, many of us are in, in one, or, one or two places when it comes to this definition. So some of us are willing to, to take a risk because we ignore the possibility of injury or risk. Now, these are people who are the skydivers and bungee jumpers, right? These are, these are the gamblers of life. You know, $100,000 on a poker game? Sure, why not? Like, who's got that? I don't know. Where do these people come up with the money? They risk anything because they ignore the possibility. And then there are others of us who are frozen by the fear of the possibility. We are locked into our stance, and we're like those little fainting goats. I should have got a video of them. That would have been awesome. Here comes the possibility of death, and boom, we lock and we fall right over and we play dead. Right? We're on one end or the other of this possibility. Now, risks, the, 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 the risk of loss. The loss might be big, and it might be small. It might be of injury. You might stub your toe, or you might lose a limb. The loss could be money. You might, you might make a big windfall, or you might lose a whole bunch of money. It could be pride. You could come out looking really good, smelling like roses, or you could come out with a little mud on your face. There's a whole palette of risks, from little teeny ones where you're humiliated a little bit to great big ones where you could actually lose your life. But there is a difference between godly risk and ungodly risk. I want to point out that difference because I know that there are many people here who will take what I say and apply it to all sorts of things in life. The difference between risk, godly risk and ungodly risk, both of them might cost you your life, but one of them is pleasing to God, and the other one is unpleasing to God. You guys are like, hey, wait a minute. I could have figured that out, Pastor Jamie. I think I got that. There are some things that you might risk your life for that I wouldn't, probably, like jumping out of an airplane or bungee jumping. I can't imagine a good reason to hop out of a perfectly good airplane. For me, I'd intend to keep my seatbelt in its locked position and my tray table in its upright and locked position, and I will stay comfortably in the metal tube flying through the air at hundreds of miles an hour. But other people are willing to jump out of it, and these are the people who, when they die, you know, they're going to come to the pearly gates, and Peter's going to be standing there saying, what are you doing here? I don't know. Like, I just jumped out of an airplane. <sighs> don't make any theology off of that. There are things that I am willing to die for, and there are things that I am willing to not die for, and an adrenaline rush is not one of them. I'm serious. But this isn't the type of risk we're talking about. I mean, if skydiving is your thing and you want to do that for Jesus and you can proclaim God's glory somehow, then jump out of all the airplanes in the world. I'm right behind you. Well, not really behind you. I'm on the ground cheering you on. I'd be very happy for you. And just a note about this, you only have one life to live, so don't just throw it away, okay? But when I say God dishonoring risks, what I'm talking about is a risk that actually dishonors God. Our culture is into brave right now. I mean, I brought up brave as like, yeah, and you go look on the internet and everybody's drawing pictures and banners and putting it on Facebook. I'm brave. And, but they're applying bravery and risk to things that aren't pleasing to God. You got to be brave to find the love of your life. If you're married and you're not in love, well, then just abandon that marriage and go find the one that, that, that will make you happy. You got to take risks to be happy in life. And all along, God's going, no, I, I made you for, I made you for something more than just that just moving from man to man or woman to woman. I made you for more than that. There's laughter. I'm not sure what to take from that. 
You know, there's, there's so many ways that our culture risks, and it's risky behavior, but it's God-dishonoring behavior. It's not behavior that pleases the Lord. If you're not happy, you have to leave him or find somebody else, and it doesn't matter if it risks your marriage or risks somebody else's marriage or risks sexually transmitted diseases or whatever it happened to be. I'm focused on sexuality there because I think this is one of the places our culture is most deeply entrenched in risky behavior. And yet, God is calling us to honor him in our risks. Non-God-honoring risks is dumb because you risk not just your life and your limb, not just your marriage, not just your family, but you risk your eternal soul. You risk your faith. You risk your relationship with God. On the other hand, the Bible reveals that God-honoring risk is a part of the everyday life of a believer. Taking risks that please the Lord, taking risks that step out and invest in your relationship with Him, that extend His kingdom, that serves the poor and serves the needy, serves the lost. These things are everyday parts of the believer's life. Paul is a great example of taking risks. He was constantly putting himself in harm's way over and over and over again for the sake of Jesus. I mean, if you read the stories in there about how many times he had his back lashed, uh, it, was, it was 40 lashes minus one is what the Roman, uh, the Roman punishment was. With a cat of nine tails, nine pieces of leather with glass or shell pieces stuck to it, and he was whipped because they knew that at 40 lashes, you would probably die. There'd be so much blood loss. So we, we're just going to back off of that so it's not a death sentence. So five times he was beaten like that. Five times the death, death penalty minus one lash. How many times he was beaten with a rod, which they actually beat your hands. His hands were gnarled and full of just broken bones that hadn't been set properly. He couldn't hardly move. He couldn't hardly talk by the time he was an old man. He had to trust in somebody else to write his words for him. Constantly putting himself in harm's way, and not just because he thought it was a good idea, but because he was doing it for Jesus. And yet we also see Paul Go in the other direction. There are times where he is escaping out of Damascus in a basket. He's stuffed in a basket and they're carrying him out on his shoulder. Like, what's in there? Oh, it's just, you know, snakes. You don't want to look in there. It's snakes. And Paul's in there going, snakes. I don't know. Then another time he's like literally running out of town for his life because there was a mob at Thessalonica that wanted to kill him. So he bolts. Paul knew. He was like, I've only got one life. I can't waste it. But there are times we're called as believers to honor God and risk our life and limb for the sake of the gospel. It is an everyday part of the life of the believer. But godly risk isn't blind. You don't always just throw yourself into the, into the lion's mouth, right? You don't always just run out in front of the bus. You're like, Jesus loves you. It's not how it works. And the question that we have to wrestle with as believers is, when do we step out and take a risk for the kingdom that might cost my life or limb, that might bring humiliation to me that might make me look bad but make Jesus look great and when do I not and guess what I don't know (laughs) I don't I just don't know and neither do you neither do you when do we when don't we there's a Christian author from some 300 years ago his name is John Bunyan he wrote the the book Pilgrim's Progress if you've ever heard of that book and what's interesting about him is he actually wrote that book and several others from prison He spent 12 years in prison. One of the books that he wrote was called uh, The Counsel to Sufferers. Sounds like a great book title, doesn't it? Counsel to Sufferers. This is like, this is my advice for people who are suffering. Now, the best advice, right, comes from people who know something about what they're talking about. And so I would recommend you to read the book, Counsel to Sufferers, because he knew, because he spent 12 years in prison, away from his family, 
He had a wife, he had three kids, and one of them was blind. This is over 300 years ago, so you can imagine the, the poverty that involved with their family, with a blind child, and how people saw like, it was just like some curse from the Lord, and all kinds of stuff around that. The reason that he was in prison was because he preached the gospel. And the, the, the ruler of his area said, no, you can't go and preach the gospel. You can't go preach about Jesus in the streets. You can't preach in the synagogues or in, the, in your temples. You can't preach this stuff. And he said, I am called to do this, and I have to do this. And he said, well, that's it. You're going to jail until you sign something that says you won't preach. And he spent 12 years in prison. He had a get-out-of-jail-free card. All he had to do was say, all right, all right, you win. I'm not going to preach. For 12 years, he stayed in prison. He chose to stay in prison for Jesus. How do you make a choice like that? I mean, missionaries all over the world are doing that every day, facing decisions of imprisonment or death or do I run? What do I do? How do I risk? Do I stand up for my faith and risk my life? Or do I head out of the city as fast as I can? Both can be right decisions. Both of them can be right. By the way, we have a missionary coming in just a couple of weeks. Or we mentioned her earlier. Her, her four-square name is Grace. She actually has a different full name because she is being deployed to a part of India where it is not safe to be a Christian. So they've got a code name for her. I love code names. It feels so dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, right? But we do this because she is risking her life. And so we're not going to put extra risk on her. She is the embodiment of that question. When do I stand and when do I run? It's not an easy question, and I don't have a simple formula where you just put two and two together to make four. But what I do know is that God blesses and plans and calls people to take risks every day that could involve the loss of life or limb for Jesus. But I believe that if this stuff, this this call that God wants you to take a risk with your life, that God wants you to be brave, that God wants you to step out of what you are comfortable with to live for him, if that could just get written on the walls of your heart, if you could just grab a hold of that and say, hey, I know that there are Jezebels out there that want to keep me quiet, but God says that I am called to take bold, risky steps to bring his kingdom to this world. If you could get this into your heart, then God, through his Holy Spirit, will speak to you about when and where and how. You recall our story from the beginning. You're like, dude, that was 15 minutes ago. You said all kinds of stuff since you read that Bible verse. I, I like, struggle to remember five minutes ago. I know some of you were in that place. That's why I give you notes so you can remember what was said. The story of Elijah, the story goes on that um, gives us just a little bit more insight. So Elijah had been told that help was on the way, right? He said, you're going to go and anoint Elisha. And I don't know why we have God picking people like Elijah and Elisha. It's like me naming my kids. I think I got all these original names and like Emma and Amelia. And now I call them that interchangeably all the time because they're so similar. Why did he do this? I don't know, just to confuse us. So we got these two guys, Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah is to go ordain Elisha and tell him that he is called to be help. In verse 19, it says this, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shapheth, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12. That makes Elisha, Elisha a really, really wealthy guy, okay? So if he's got 12 oxen, that means he's got some pretty dang big fields that he has got to plow. He's got, he's got the cattle of a thousand hills here. We got, you know, he's got a Palouse farm, and he's growing wheat on it, and it is huge. And he's at it all day long with these 12 oxen pulling this, this plow. But he's also wealthy enough not just to have the land, but to actually have the animals to do the work. This is a great sign of wealth in his culture. He's been very successful. 
It says, as Elijah passes by him, he cast his cloak upon him. Elijah was walking along. Elijah's over there plowing. And Elijah just tosses his jacket over on him. Weird. Who does things like that, right? Just like, here you go. Throws his coat on him. No burning bush. No voice from heaven. No thunderous clouds or shaking temples. Just a coat tossed by a homeless guy. Here it is. Here's your calling. Here it is. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. And he said, let me kiss my father and my mother and I will follow you. Does that remind you? Does that, those words remind some of you maybe of something else you've read in the Bible? Maybe from Luke 9? Yet another follower of Jesus said to him, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is recalling this story. And it's interesting how he reverses it. In the story of Elisha, or Elisha, he is plowing along and a coat gets thrown on him and he turns and looks at the guy and he runs after him. In the story of Jesus, we have somebody saying, hey, I want you to plow this field. And the guy goes and he plows and he turns and turns back. Jesus reverses the story. What's the point? The point is, be all in on this thing. Jump in with both feet. If you were called to plow a field, plow it with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Do it as unto the Lord. If you were called to follow the homeless guy, follow the homeless guy. But whatever you do, don't look back to your old life. And that's exactly what Elisha does. He's plowing along and he says, first let me say farewell. And he doesn't just say farewell to his family. Elisha said, Elijah says to Elisha, go back for what have I do, done to you? And frankly, that's exactly what I would have been saying. And I'm like, what did you just do to me? You just threw a coat on me. It's like lice in this thing. It stinks. What is that? But somehow Elisha has gotten the point and he knows that Elijah has thrown a mantle of authority on him. He's thrown this, this, this title upon him. You are now going to be a prophet. You are going to come and work with me and we are going to bring God to this nation and he's probably pretty aware of what Jezebel has done to the prophets. He probably knows that this is the last one left. And he gets to be number two. So Elijah, Elisha owns his decision. He says, I'm in all the way, both feet. He returned from following Elijah, and he took the oxen and the yoke. So he sacrificed the oxen, and he boiled their flesh, and he boiled it with the yokes. The yokes are those leather sawdust-filled, sweaty collars that they throw over ox. Okay, imagine the stench of these things. They've been plowing in the field all day, sweating, and it's been permeating into the leather for weeks and months. And he takes, kills the ox, and he boils them, and then he throws the yokes in after them. There's no going back to his way of life. There's no going back to this being a farmer business. And then he takes that and he says, hey, everybody, potluck. So we got an international potluck coming up in a couple weeks. Anybody just get a recipe? Ooh, it sounds so tasty. Sweaty yolks. And everybody eats, and there's no chance of him ever going back. And he gets up, and he follows after Elijah, and he assisted him. He helped him. On the one hand, we have Elijah taking a risk. He's going out, and he's actually anointing kings, which is insane during those days. I tell you, if, if some other king found out that you anointed somebody else king, it didn't go well for you, Right? Imagine somebody else anointing somebody for your job. Hey, you think you're the office manager? Ah, oh, you just anointed so-and-so office manager. Have a nice day. 
He goes out, but he's going with this audible voice, this memory of God speaking to him on the mountain. The mountain shook, the mountain trembled, there was fire, and then there's silence, and he got this, he's got this moment, this moment to look back on, and he takes a risk, and he goes out, and he anoints kings, and he anoints a prophet, and he says, I'm taking this risk, I'm running for my life, this is going to be dangerous, but I am following God, I am taking a risk, and I am anointing kings and other prophets, and I'm doing what God has called me to do, even if it means giving up everything. On the other side, you have Elisha, a wealthy man with a good future ahead of him, and he's taking a risk to serve and follow God. He's giving up everything that he has to follow him, based on somebody tossing a jacket on him. In taking a risk to follow God, get this, Elisha becomes the answer to Elijah's prayer. Do you ever think about that? Elijah's on the mountaintop. He's like, God, I can't do this. I need help. He's like, I got just the man. His name is Elisha. And he goes down and he anoints Elisha and Elisha says, I'm in. And he follows him and becomes the answer to Elijah's prayer. He becomes the answer to Elijah's prayer. So often we think our decisions to stand still, to play the, to play the fainting goat in the moment of decision just affects me. This is just, this is just me. This is just between me and God. But out there in this world, there are people that are literally praying for you to come and you don't even know it. And some of them don't even know that they're praying that prayer. God, I can't make it through this. How am I going to survive? How am I going to survive this divorce? How am I going to survive this this pain? How am I going to survive any of this? What am I going to do? I just need an encouraging word. And God is saying, hey, would you just encourage them? You just give them a phone call? Maybe show up at their house with dinner. There are people all over this world, all over this city, and all over this neighbor, all over your neighborhood. They're saying, God, if you're real, just show me. Just let somebody introduce me to you somehow. God, I'm here alone. I need help. And God is saying to them, help is on the way, and you are that help. I already told you to tell one another, help is on the way. And I told you, ask you to tell me, help is on the way. Now go and be the answer to that prayer. Take a risk because you are the answer to somebody's prayer. Elijah was at the end of his rope. He was done and he prayed, Lord, I need help. And he sends Elijah. You are called to be help to someone. And I am ordaining you. I'm throwing my coat on you. I'm doing whatever it takes to tell you. You are the answer to somebody else's prayer. You were called, you were chosen, you were set apart. So go and be and do and say all that God has called you to be, do and say. Will you take a risk? Will you face Jezebel? Let's just finish up with this really quickly. How should you take a risk? I'm going to spend some time talking about this in the next several weeks. There are thousands and thousands of ways that you could take God-honoring risks with your life. Kingdom-expanding risks. Really, finding a way is not difficult at all. You've just got to look around. It's got to be a little creative. We often want the God on the mountain moment, right? We want God to say, you need to do this. And he's just saying, hey, just take baby steps. Just, just do something small. Just start there. Let this take a hold of you, and, and it'll get bigger and bigger. There's two kinds of risks that are shown here, though. we got one kind of risk that Elijah models and one that, that Elijah models. The first one is the one that Elijah, Elijah models, which is the slow down risk. Instead of just throwing himself into kingdom work over and over again, he retreated. And he went to a mountain, and he prayed, and he sought God. It's a not-doing risk. 
It's a prophetic countercultural risk where we stop moving at the pace of our world, at the pace of our degree program, at the pace of our work, at the pace of what, whatever is right in front of us, at the pace of television and news. We stop moving at that pace and we stop long enough to hear what God is saying. And often, like Elijah in that mountain on the cave, we actually have to shut the noise off and ignore it so that we can hear God. That's risky in this culture. What are you doing this weekend? I'm taking a Sabbath. What? What does that even mean? Oh, you're going to mow your lawn? No. I'm going to rest and delight in God. I'm going to delight in my family, and I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to what God's saying. That's risky. That's risky. As much as what we do matters, I mean, show me your faith without works, right? As much as what we do matters, it's the growth of our spirit that matters most. We're so busy working that we miss spending time with Jesus. We're so busy doing things for Jesus that we fail to be with Jesus. Pete Scazzaro wrote in a a blog, um, and it was a quote from another guy, and he says, burnout comes not so much from from giving too much of our time and our energy, but giving out of what we don't have. We give out of the poverty of our own souls. We go about trying to serve people when inside of us there's this deep need to be in the presence of God and to hear a word from Him. Are you stopping long enough to actually hear from Him? We're not talking about, okay, I do my daily devotions, and I, you know, we're not talking about a religious writ. We're talking about spending time building relationship with Jesus, who is the person that we preach, who is the hope of the world that is in us. How much of Jesus is in you? It's not so much how much of the Bible you get, but how much of the Bible gets you grabs a hold of your heart and transforms you. We're not comfortable stopping. But it's in the stillness that God speaks to us in the middle of our lives. And he speaks to us about what he is doing and what's really going on in the world around you and what are really the needs around you and who is praying what and how can you be the answer to that prayer. Some examples of ways to slow down. Start spending time in in your Bible, just reading. Journal, pray, memorize a Bible verse, and just say it over and over again throughout the day. Small or large, anything that you do regularly that builds your spirit, that builds your inward relationship with Jesus will make a difference in your life. And suddenly you will have a well from which to draw from. He who drinks of the water that I give will never thirst again. You will never run dry if you keep going back to the well of Jesus. The second risk is Elisha's model, which is to step out. The step out risk. They're God-honoring risks. It involves actually doing something that you're afraid to do, being brave, and doing it in a way that extends the kingdom. You might be stepping into ministry. And that actually really only applies to about four people here, as we saw last week, right? When we showed up, everybody that takes does something here to make this church run takes all of us. But maybe it's stepping outside of that and doing something else. Maybe it's speaking a kind word to somebody who's being criticized. Maybe it's sending an encouraging note to a leader or somebody who's been speaking into your life. You don't have to be created to find these things. You just have to be brave and honest enough to answer when God calls. I really do believe that God is calling many of you to take a risk this morning. And probably as I've talked about it, it's already been in your heart. It's been going on in there. You've been wrestling with it. Like Sandy this morning, you were such a great example, Sandy. She was looking at the card. She's like, well, I do that one all the time. 
but that one's going to be hard. <laughs> and she's like, and you almost use the word, God's calling me to do this one. I didn't, you didn't quite say it. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I don't know. That's between you and him. But you almost said that. And you could see it in her face that this is going to be hard. And I need to do that. And you've been wrestling in that same way with something in your mind today as you've been sitting here listening to me. Do I do it or do I run? Is now the time to risk? Let's just bow our heads and listen to the Lord for a moment. I'm going to finish up. I went a little long because I'm long-winded, just to be honest. Lord, I pray that you would make us brave in this moment. Katie, would you just come and play quietly on the guitar as we listen to the Lord? What sort of risk is God calling you to? How many of you, thinking about it, just in listening today, would raise your hand and say that God is calling me to some sort of risk in my life? raise your hand some sort of risk all right amen how many of you would say that's a slow down risk let's just raise your hands for a slow down risk you got to slow down and you got to get with jesus yeah i kind of that was my my suspicion the lord was calling us deeper with him how many of you'd say it's an outward risk a step out risk and how many of you raise your hand for both yeah <laughs> yeah I have a basket here with a set of cards, just like those ones we did tonight. And if you're in that place where, or this morning, it felt like tonight, they're the risk cards. Take a risk for Jesus. It's a game. And I want to invite you to grab one of those on your way out and start making a habit of taking risks. Just pick one out a week. Pick one out a day. There's so many to choose from. There's 30-some-odd risks, inward risks and outward risks. And you can just commit to doing one of them and begin to tell the story of what happens when we step out and take risks for Jesus. I'm going to have a, an usher just on the back space or I'll be back there with a the basket. You can grab those on the way out. We started with this phrase that help is on the way. As a church, God has called us to be his light in this city. To say to this city, help is on the way. That we're to be real heat real help, that we are the hands and feet of Jesus. What are we going to do? He's given us something. What are we going to do with it? This world is dark, and it's getting darker. The world needs people of light to shine. Evil is overcoming people. So the world needs people who the Holy Spirit is alive and working in that are overcoming this world to stand in the gap for those who are being buried under the weight of sin and death struggle. God is calling us to stand together for the sake of this world. People who can say, I'm going to take a risk, a small risk, a big risk, but I'm going to do it for Jesus. I'm going to do it for this world because Jesus loves this world. If it means stepping out of my comfort zone to talk to somebody I don't know, ah, then maybe I'll do that. That's a start coming to the place where you say, Jesus, I will do this. I'm, I'm burning the, the oxen and I'm throwing the yoke in the pot. I can't go back. Jesus, this morning as we've raised our hands and we've confessed to one another and to you that you were calling us to something more, I pray that right now courage would rise 
that fear would be conquered, that every Jezebel voice that says, this is why you can't do it, this is why you shouldn't do it, this is why you should cut and run, would be silenced by the voice of your Holy Spirit and that you would give us wisdom to know when to risk and when not to risk, but that God, when you say go, that we would not sit still. God, that we would look to our examples of like Brianna and Will called to go so they leave everything behind and go to a foreign country to be your light, to be your love, to be real help as you were. God, that we would look to, to one another and to the stories that come out of the, the bravery of this body risking for you. And that we would be your hope in this world. So today, Jesus, together we declare to the world that help is on the way. So if this morning you were called to risk, would you just say that with me? Just to the world at large, help is on the way. Help is on the way. Jesus, we pray that this world would be ready to receive the help that you are sending in us and through us. We pray that those who need us, who have been called by you, would be connected to us and they would hear your voice as we do what you call us to do. Help is on the way. In the name of Jesus, amen. As you go from this place to live on the mission of God in this world, may your heart be kind, may your spirits be brave, and your minds be fierce. Don't back down. Never surrender. Amen. Yes, Lori. There you go. Missions 101. If you haven't signed up already, you could talk to Lori and jump in on that. It's a great chance to take a risk. Upstairs, 6 o'clock tonight. Go in the grace of our Lord and enjoy your Sunday. Amen.